The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 403. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, good morning to you. Guess what? Big uh, show. Big oh, show. oh yeah. no. Well, you said guess what? Simon. It's a huge show, Noah. The oh, big shoot. game is right here. It's the Linux Action Show. This is the big game on a Sunday. This is all you need. Coming up on this week's episode, we're going to take a look at Slack versus Mattermost versus Rocket Chat. What? Yeah, these are like the new collaboration tools that huge open source projects are beginning to use outside of IRC or open mailing lists. And some of these are locked up in a proprietary system, and the improvements being made to them just simply go back to the company when there's already open source alternatives out there to help you collaborate collaborate better in a whole new way. Even if you're just a couple of people or hundreds of people, this episode is going to have something for you. It's pretty neat. So look forward to that. And then in the news segment, what's going on with this new Ubuntu tablet that's supposed to start shipping next quarter? We've got all of the details on the newly announced Ubuntu Convergence tablet, Noah. Full-on convergence. What's up? Also, an introduction to the Keybase file system. Yes, I said the Keybase file system, a brand new game that is shipping for Windows and Linux at the same time. It's a big deal, too. And then why the Internet of Things should probably break up with the cloud. We're not going to try to be too old codgery about this one, yelling at the kids to get off our lawn, but this article on Medium brought up some great points about why Internet of Things and the cloud just fundamentally don't make sense. Then in the feedback segment, we've got some great emails, a call out to the community, and all of that goodness. So it's a huge show. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? I thought you were going to forget about the pick. <laughs> I know. It was way too much show. Way too much show. Yes, of course. It's the picks and it's our Runs Linux picks, as always. This might be one of the most submitted that we've gotten in the last year. I mean, I, I think I saw this come into the show six times, seven times uh, in the last couple of days. And it came in waves, too, because there were a few more times, a couple mm -hmm. of times in the subreddit. So we got to cover this one. Why, yes, it is the world's fastest Rubik's Cube solving robot. You guessed it. It runs Linux. And solving. That, that's it right, right there. My just name solved. is Jay Flatland. This is my friend Paul Rose. Hi. Um, we've built an extremely fast Rubik's Cube solving robot. And we're in the process right now of applying for an official world record. That's mm -hmm. awesome. 1.196. All right, we've, uh, we're turning the cube with stepper motors. Um, they are resting in a 3D printed frame. Um, the stepper motors have little 3D printed feet on the ends of them that fit into carefully drilled holes uh, That's awesome. side of the Rubik's Cube. The Rubik's Cube can pop out. See, it's a regular Rubik's Cube aside from the holes. And you can see the Linux box over here. Mm -hmm. See the USB deck that he has down there? Like a whole bunch of USB ports right there. And then a couple of Logitech cameras on either side of the post there. And we use uh, four USB webcams. Ah, uh, four uh, of them. Oh, yeah, there's the other ones. determine the state of the cube. That's awesome, dude. Uh, very rapidly. Uh, that camera information is fed into a PC application running on Linux. 
Bingo. Uh, that application uh, determines the cube state, feeds the cube state into an implementation of the uh, Kosiemba Rubik's Cube solving algorithm. Of course. Which, uh, determines a set of moves to solve the cube very rapidly. Naturally. That's amazing. We have uh, six stepper motor drivers here controlled by uh, an Arduino chip, an Atmel. Um, that makes sense. The Arduino is responsible for controlling uh, highly tuned acceleration, deceleration curves to drive the stepper motors. <laughs> Three, two, one. Fire! Wow. 1.196. All right, I'm going to uh, take out the cube and uh, hand scramble it as we will on, on our competition. And they're covering up the cameras day. too. Um, you see that? I'll block one of the cameras so yeah. it's not getting any hints as I'm. Uh, they're worried about the computer the watching them. <laughs> well, I think they're worried about people suspecting that the computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll let you guys finish the rest of the video, but you get the idea. So uh, that, that robot running on a Linux PC there, which looks like uh, uh, XFCE to me. If, um, really? I was going to say GNOME 2. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, could be. There, so um, so the, uh, the, 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 thing, <laughs> the interesting thing about that is if you think about it, really it's multiple runs Linux because you yeah. Linux is running on that Arduino as well. Right. As well as on the actual solving PC. But I, uh, I, here's the thing. I, think, I don't think I could solve a Rubik's Cube if you gave me a year. So... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it can do it in one second. Uh, yeah, live update, Renegade Dave in the, uh, or Devil in the chat room says, uh, Santa West with Gnome 3 Classic. Boom, right here, breaking news on the uh, last program. Uh, so, Noah, if you, uh, if, you, if you will permit me, I have something embarrassing to show with you before we go any further. i got to get oh, it out wow. of the way now because otherwise I feel like it's going to be distracting once it's seen. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm just the elephant in the room. See, I have to... I don't know if you can see her here right here, Noah, but you see her... Wait, hold on, it's really hard because I'm doing it backwards. You see right here, Noah? See what that uh, is? Uh-oh. Right, yeah. Did you goof your beard up? Yeah, I did. I nicked my beard right there. See that right oh, there? No. Yeah. That's horrible. How'd that happen? <sighs> well, so in the moving process, I, uh, I lost my trimmer. So I just took oh. my regular, like, razor, and I just, you know, you can flip up the little the thing on the back. And yeah. I just started going, like, pairing, like, a, like you know, like, taking yeah. a huge weed whacker to a bush to do your pairing. And right, yeah. uh, I just got a little bit in the groove, and vroom, just one second later, you know, it's like, it's just going in for a quickie shave, and next thing you know, I marked up my face. So it's this side over oh, here. No, Actually, that's it's this so side. Good. No. Well, you and I will match this week, because as you notice, I no longer have a Band-Aid. Hey, yeah, and it's gone. Yeah, I just have, I don't know, you guys probably didn't show up very well, but it's just... It's I can see a little bit of a... The bruising's cleared person, up. You, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll be there permanently because... Uh, oh, really? That's going to leave a mark. Oh, yeah. But, it's uh, permanent, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, now everybody has something to look bad. forward to at the next meetup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, was just, it was funny because like, everyone I talked to was like, oh, you should go in the emergency room and get that stitch. I'm like, give me a beer, some duct tape. I'll be fine. Oh, you should have got it stitched, huh? Yeah. Well, that's what everyone kept telling me. I didn't uh, think about it at the time. Hey, you so, know what? Now you just look like a tough guy. That's right. And you got that story about a MacBook. Exactly. Uh, all right, Noah. So uh, this is this is a particularly relevant sponsor this week, DigitalOcean, our first sponsor, because uh, everything we're about to talk to talk about this week is set up and running on DigitalOcean droplets. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, I'll tell you, DigitalOcean is a great place to go deploy a Linux machine when you want to try setting something up. So uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is Rocket Chat, and Rocket Chat's official method for installation is deploying a Docker image. 
So I went to DigitalOcean, and uh, of course I used the promo code Last Digital. Well, not really because I've used it, but uh, <laughs> you know you could use the promo code Last Digital and get yourself a ten dollar credit. But what was super cool is I went to deploy an image, and I went on the apps or whatever they call it section where they have the images with the whole software stack already set up, and they have like Ubuntu fourteen oh four with everything. Well, I specifically needed Docker and Nginx. And on Ubuntu 14.04, that's not a super quick setup. Like you gotta, you gotta go add repos. You gotta add, import the GPG keys. You have to install some dependencies. You have to add additional kernel images that aren't on the traditional 14.04 uh, base image. So if you want to use Docker and Nginx, it actually saves you a, a fair amount of post setup time. So I clicked the Docker Nginx image and deployed that on uh, on a DigitalOcean droplet, SSH'd into it, and literally within 45 seconds, I SSH'd in. I changed my root password. I double checked the software was up to date, and then I deployed the Docker image and I had Rocket Chat up and running. Uh, it, it really is amazing because it starts at five dollars a month, and you can think about five dollars a month. That's an incredible value for. For a Linux server, 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, because they're all SSDs, a blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And I decided, actually, I went with a $40 rig, because I thought, well, maybe if I hang on to this for a little while, and I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the community in. So if you go to DigitalOcean's website, the pricing is very straightforward. So right now, I'm essentially paying an hourly rate uh, to have a machine with 4 gigabytes of RAM, two CPU cores, 60 gigabyte SSD, and four terabytes of transfer. That's a lot. And I figure that way they, uh, we can have folks in the live chat room and on our Patreon page bang on some of these instances. Plenty of bandwidth. And at the end, uh, I'm paying like six cents <laughs> an hour. Like, that's nothing. And if you use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit, and you can try it out two months for free. They've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, brand new one in Germany and Toronto. They're really nice rigs. An amazing interface, easy to deploy Ubuntu, Fedora, FreeBSD, Debian, CentOS, CoreOS. They have fantastic tutorials, a straightforward API that a ton of good open source code is already written around that you can take advantage of. And they also have a ton of libraries, API wrappers. Go check it out, digitalocean.com. Use the promo code LASTDIGITAL, support the show, and get yourself a cool rig. And if you see anything we're talking about today, you can set up a DigitalOcean just minutes. It's really cool, DigitalOcean. You'd be, uh, you'd be really happy, I, or disappointed, one of the two, that I actually I just ended up setting OwnCloud up using their one-click install. Oh, yeah, how was that? Well, the install was fantastic. It was super easy and, and went super well. Now, if my data's still there in a week, then we'll have a So you're trying it again, huh? You're trying it again. Good for yeah, you. I Good know, for you. Know. You know, here's well, one thing that I really liked about OwnCloud on DigitalOcean is uh, the connection. First of all, I chose one in San Francisco. So mm -hmm. to me, it's like, it's, it's as far as internet links go, it's pretty much local because I almost route anything outside of Washington State. Even if it's in Oregon, I go down to California first. So having a droplet in California is like mm -hmm. a great slam dunk for me. And so yeah. when I would set up, you know, a, a new distro or a blank machine and install mm -hmm. that own, count, own cloud client, it would literally, from my DigitalOcean droplet down to my own cloud client, saturate the internet connection, just blasting the data at it as fast yeah. as the as my ISP could take it. And that was a super nice thing about using own cloud on DigitalOcean. Yeah. Really well, and the nice that. thing is, is they allow you to set up with SSL. So yes. That, it automatically does the certificate. Oh, it does that for you now? Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's fancy. I, I, I literally, I clicked on the button. I clicked my SSH key. I clicked connect. I logged in. And when you log in, they have a, they, they give you a message of the day that shows you your own cloud username and password. Copied that, deleted that message of the day, and I was done. 
Nice. That it was it was a, it was a working instance. I mean, Lippy in the uh, really chat room uh, set up a rocket chat instance for the uh, chat room to play with. He's doing it on a five dollar droplet right now. It's pretty cool. So check it mm-hmm. out. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Last Digital. Get a ten dollar credit. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. They're pretty great. They're pretty pretty great. Uh, and uh, the Mattermost install that uh, people are banging on right now, run on a DigitalOcean droplet, and uh, just love how fast it is to deploy. So one of the things I did is at one point I needed to reload. Uh, and what's really nice is you can just go back and reload that same 1404 image, Docker and Nginx, and it wipes the machine. It's like a brand new install, but like any of the DNS stuff you've set up or, or like any of that stuff remains persistent. So it makes the cost of reloading your box free, essentially, because all of the base install of everything I needed to set up Rocket Chat just went right back on and then just SSH back in, Docker deploy, and I'm done. Or Docker run. And I was, I mean, it's like... Because Docker, when you tell it to run an, an, a name, and if you don't already have it on the system, it just goes out and fetches it from Docker Hub, downloads it, and then l- runs it. It's Once you have Docker installed, it, to get Rocket Chat going, it's it's like a 10-second. Yeah. So it was really cool. Uh, I just it was a, super handy to play with a project like that on DigitalOcean. All right. So tell me about a little variety. Are we going to get some background diversity up in here? Sure. <laughs> Variety is Noah's desktop app pick of the week that he looks like he completely forgot about. <laughs> no, I, I just I didn't know what you were talking about there for a second. Um, no, so basically, uh, this is this is uh, uh, this is my my going to be my wife pleasing app. That's what oh I'm nice, dude. The wife pleasing app. This would go good and, on your uh, kitchen PC too. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, that has a very that has a very specific background. Oh yeah, that's right. That's Sir right. Alton, and it will never change. That's right. That's right. Alton Brown. But um, basically, what this is is it's an app, and you install it, and it will automatically change the wallpaper of the uh, of your computer at, at a specified interval. Now, that's what I thought it was when I first found it and I was first playing with it, and I first installed it and put it in the show notes. Afterwards, after playing with it for a while, you can do a whole ton of other stuff. Yeah, like one of the things I really love about this is the crazy amount of uh, varieties of sources for your uh, images for the backgrounds. Like obviously you can have folders and you can have yep. lots of local folders. You can have many local folders, mm-hmm. but you can also do things like the Earth sunlight map and NASA astronomy exactly. picture of the day and desktopper yep. and Flickr's highest rated photos and stuff like right. that. You yeah. love that, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, and the, the thing is, it's it almost feels like widgets on Android, except on my desktop. And what's interesting was, I thought they were the gimmicky, most dumbest thing ever when they were on Android. Now that they're on my Linux desktop, I think they're amazing. Yeah, because some of the backgrounds, like they have, you can have a clock on there. Uh, you can have inspirational quotes. You know, like those uh, inspirational, motivational posters. That's so that, motivational, right there. Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, <laughs> you can have different sources there. I mean, I you can share your background on Facebook if you like that one. There's an example of the clock overlay. Uh, also, uh, one of the things that's really cool is you see how you can apply a filter to the background image. So the background is always blurred if you want it to always be blurred. Having a blurred background is actually kind of nice for icons. It makes icons more readable. And I, I actually have played with that a little bit. You can also automatically grayscale it, make it look like an oil painting, a charcoal painting, a couple other things to every background. So they all have sort of a similarity. It's really, it's a really cool program. I actually, I have the clock one running on this computer in front of me, uh, the the machine that sits here in the studio for the sole purpose of, I, I frequently lose track of time while we're doing this. I, I get done. I have no idea if I've been here for an hour or five. <laughs> you know, so I should put it. So that way, when I show my screen, people get an idea of what time it is in studio. Tyler does fairly point out that some of these things are like just built into the Plasma desktop. And this is, right. this does work on, uh, I think, I think Plasma desktop. I've I've definitely used it on GTK desktops. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's called Variety, and uh, I I have played with it over the years and love it. It's definitely a good app pick, and I like fresh backgrounds, which is funny because I never change them here on the Studio Machine very often. So that might because be because it's probably not high on your priority. You know, list. actually, no, it's because every now and then when it pulls in from the Flickr feed, it gets something that you don't necessarily want to put on air. Oh yeah, so you gotta be well, careful with some of the Flickr feeds and stuff. I don't know if you do this, but I do this. Different backgrounds put me in different mo- frames. Oh of yeah, mind oh yeah. And so you know, I've, if you 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 may or may not have noticed, anytime we have a, a, a <clears> rig that we're using for production, I always have uh, there's a Jupiter Broadcasting wallpaper that I use, and that has in the in in subconsciously in my mind, I know never to install Telegram on that machine, never to open my email on that machine, because I know that there is a chance that desktop may be shared out at some point. And I have different wallpapers I use for different machines, and that, that kind of keys into that. And so this is, but here's the thing, my wife doesn't have that problem. She just likes new and flashy and pretty things. And so it, for her, I think it'll be great. I will. I probably just. I'm gonna stick to my static. Well, well yeah, yeah. You could also, you know, you can kind of uh, lock it down to certain, only certain sources that are a little safer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do that, or have, or have different things with the JB logo. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A folder of just folder. images you know that are safe. Sure. All right, I'm gonna install it right now. I'm installing okay. it right now. No, I'm installing it right now. Okay. There we go. It is now installed on my machine. Because you know what. Why not? And maybe not? Uh, during the break, what's I'll. What's the worst uh, that could happen? The computer could crash. What's or? the worst? I want to put. A, I, hey, I want a clock. So maybe during the break, I'll I'll figure that up. I'll configure that up. All right. So let's move right along to a spotlight that uh, I really want to set up. I didn't get a chance to do it because I was already working on a whole other bunch of projects this week. I think I'm going to say it's called Sticked. What do you think? Sticked. I, I'm going to go with Sticked. Yeah. Yeah. It's an advanced and beautiful paste bin, written in PHP that you can deploy on your own rig. That Pretty may quickly. or may not have saved Jupiter Broadcasting this week because yet again, Slexi was down. Slexi is still down. Slexi is where we paste all our emails to read on the show. It's been down for like a couple of weeks. It's been affecting TechSnap and BSD now as well. Uh, and so Sticked is an open source PHP pastebin with the aim of keeping a simple and easy to use interface. Sticked allows you to easily share code with anyone you wish based on the original Sticked with lots of bug fixes, easy setup, syntax highlighting. Uh, does it? Did you notice it include Markdown? I think it does, but I can't remember. Uh, here's something that's kind of neat. Which this could be specifically useful for our show production. Paste replies. So when we read an email on air, if somebody has a response to that, they could go do a reply to the paste, which which is really cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, you can do a diff view between the original and the reply. You can do – it has an API. You can search. It has trending paste, encrypted paste, theme support, anti-spam features, an Android app, multilingual. Command line to upload, paste. Oh, oh, oh! A command line so you can upload for that could be really great for doing. Like, think about it. You're doing email. You drop down terminal, paste it in there, have it automatically go up. That could be really cool, Noah. Uh, a CLI tool requiring curl and many more. It looks really neat, and they have a tryout. But the installation is pretty straightforward, really. You just if you have PHP working on your system, then you just download it, drop it into a web directory, uh, set up a. There's one cron job you can set up to curl uh, the site and. Uh, make sure that things get cleaned up, but it's really straightforward if you have PHP support and if you like, or just deploy to droplet and set up Apache and PHP with the deploy, uh, you're ready to go. And so I'm thinking we should probably set our own installation of it, something with a cool Linux action, or probably a JB domain because all of the shows get email, and so we probably shouldn't just do a last thing. But pretty we cool. should. That's that's something I got to talk to you about at some point. We need a uh, we need a JB domain that I can start mapping. Address, I can I have access to the DNS records because I was, you know, there's, it would have been three different times this week. I was, you know, we I was working with the um, obviously with the basement, but also with the phone server and stuff like that. And they're all on different domains because reasons. We do have Jupiter Colony. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. let's chat, yeah. chat about yeah. that. Uh, and I also uh, this week bought Jupiter Chat for the uh, Mattermost server, which is oh, that's cool. pretty good. Jupiter Chat, yeah. right? That's pretty mm-hmm. good for sure. Uh, all right, Noah. So that is the picks. We've got links to all of that in the show notes. If you guys want to try any of those out, like Variety or Sticked, you can get a link to that in the show notes just by going to jb.com and looking or jupiterbroadcasting.com and looking for last four oh three. With the picks all done, let's do the news. It's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Everybody knows that. Last.ting.com is where you go to get yourself a little bit off your next phone, or if you have a Ting-compatible device, well, then you get a little bit towards your service. It's a really great service. You only pay for what you use. They just take your minutes and your messages and your megabytes, and they add them up. No crazy plans or buckets or weird payment deals where they rebate you or anything like that. It's just very straightforward, and it's a flat $6. For the line. So that's really easy, which means you have some opportunity to play around with different setups that are a little unconventional. Noah and I have been Ting customers for a long, long time now. And now that they have a GSM and CDMA network, there's a lot of options to play with some creative ideas. And no, you just can't stop buying Ting devices. I know you I, just grabbed a couple more. Yeah, it's gotten to be kind of like an addiction. And in fact, one of the guys that works for me, um, him and I were having a conversation this week, and like it's. <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous because both of us keep buying Ting devices simply because we can. <clears throat> so first he, he, he telegrams me and says, hey, I bought, uh, I bought the, uh, a new Nexus 5 this week. And then I also decided because I wanted a bigger brother to go with it, I decided to buy an LTE Nexus tablet as well. So Ooh, he got those. Ooh, look at you. Well, so I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be one up. I, I can't let my, my total count go, go down, but I also don't have the money to compete with him and buying like super nice things. So I've gone to the other end of the spectrum. So the first one I bought is the Blue Samba TV. And the cool thing about the Blue Samba TV is it's a $19 unlocked D- GSM device with two SIM slots. So you can have uh, active on, on two different accounts. Oh, and yes, yeah, so I have quad band too. Have, yeah. And so uh, I can have a, <clears throat> a work SIM and a personal SIM. And the, the ability to just send like simple text messages and stuff, because as much as I like Telegram, uh, a lot of the a lot of the people I work for, they, they're still on antiquated SMS. And so the ni- neat thing about this was I was playing with it for a week to see, could I handle more stuff through just text messaging? But then I would want an actual physical keyboard because I, I, I mean, you've te- you, what's, you, what's this? what it happens which is it's horrible either i use voice and it and it says things like i want to kill my mother or i try and uh, peck it out with my fingers yeah. and then it looks like i'm texting with gloves on is neither is good so you can go up to 32 gigabytes of storage it has a camera it's i'm loving the uh, gsm frequency support that's nice right. and dual sim is 20 bucks. Yeah, 20, 20, bucks. 20 bucks. That's pretty cool. All right, so that's yeah. that's, that, that's device number, number one. one. Yeah. Now, here's phone number two. The The second phone was, is I, I I have a work phone that I've had for a long time, and but I wanted to bring that over to the GSM side. So what I was looking for is a super durable, simple phone that I can take and receive calls on. Yeah. And wound up with this, Exynasi, Exynasi, etc. That is enjoyable. Japanese, Japanese or Chinese made phone. And basically, yeah, okay. what, it might also be Yaokai or something like that. The Yaokai yeah, XX yeah, dual yeah, SIM like, cards. Yeah, like H-A-W-A-I is Huawei. Dual yeah. standby? What's dual standby mean? So you can turn either SIM off temporarily. You can put either oh, SIM in the standby. Cool. But here, that's not the coolest part. Here's the coolest part about that phone. On the side is a USB port. And the USB port gives you access to the ginormous freaking battery 
that's on the inside. Whoa. Yeah. So it is a cell phone and a battery pack. Now, if you look at the price, it's 35 bucks. And so the, that for a battery pack alone is worth it. And I get the advantage of just having the ability to have a, a, a dual SIM phone to go so with So you, it. With, your, with your cheap phone, could charge your expensive Android phone now. Exactly. And the, the other neat thing is, if you look carefully at the battery picture, <clears throat> the battery is actually what has the USB port on it. And yes. so you don't actually have to have it in the phone to use it as a battery pack. Now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because um, if you've ever seen a battery get punctured, it's, it's yeah. kind of a bad thing. But... It has a micro USB charging port right on the battery, so you can use the battery independent of the phone, or you can put the, uh, or you can put the battery inside the phone and use it as a super super durable phone. And a kind of neat thing, it has a flashlight at the front of it. That's so, pretty, a decent looking flashlight too. That's pretty yeah, cool. So for fifty bucks, and then of course it's only six bucks. Actually, you can right now you can get it for uh, thirty two ninety nine on Amazon. Oh, is that what? Okay. Prime was, too. Well, yeah, right, right. 30, 30, 33 for that, and then twenty for the blue. So I spent fifty bucks total. Yeah. On, on cool toys. And then it would be $6 a month if I activated each of them individually. But what I ended up doing is I just swapped the SIM from, from one phone to the other. So I'm back on my, I'm back on my main phone and I have, uh, I, I, I just take the SIM out and stick it in one of those phones, play with it yeah. for a little bit, stick it the next phone, play with it for a this little bit. This is what's great about Ting and why I think they're such a good fit for our audience. Because if you just, if, if you understand this stuff, even just a little bit or want to learn more about it, or you really got it down, there's a lot of flexibility in what you can do with Ting that you just can't do on the other carriers. And the fact that it's $6 a month for that, for that line makes it really fun. And you can even turn lines off for a while when you're not using them, which means if it's something that sits in a drawer, you're not sitting there paying on it, which is really nice too. And then you just turn it on when you do need it. It's pretty cool. All right, well, let's wrap up the Ting segment with... Kyra's app pick of the week. Let's check it out. You know Kyra's here. She's going to be repping with the app pick. Can you do 10 things at once on your smartphone? This app can help. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting Download. Multitasking on a smartphone isn't easy. Sure, you can use the app switcher, but this means a bunch of tapping, swiping, and switching back and forth. Pintasking aims to change that. This handy Android add-on lets you shrink apps you're using into little bubbles that stick to the sides of your screen. Tap the pin and it takes you right back to the app. Notice that the bubble has changed into a set of arrows? Tap that and you'll be taken back to the app you're in before. If you have multiple pins, you can fast switch between apps just by tapping. You can even move pins around so they don't get in the way. Or if you want to remove a pin, just hold it down and then drag it into the trash. And when you turn off your screen, the pins go away. It's that simple. Pin tasking also includes some gesture activated shortcuts that come in handy. For instance, turning on swipe pad from the app will enable a hot corner that allows you to quickly switch back to the last app you were in. Pintasking comes in two flavors, free and pro. The free version only allows for two pins at any time and lacks any customization options for the pins. You can remove all these restrictions by upgrading for $3.99. A link to this app is in the description below. Why not subscribe to our channel and like this video? Thanks for watching and see you next time. Last.ting.com. That's a great app. I like that A, it goes away when you close the, when you turn off the screen. I think that's a really nice feature. Uh, and the other thing I like a lot about it is the fact that you can just whoop, whoop, and it's gone. It's not going to just be persistent all the time. That is yeah. like, and the quick switching might be nice from like doing it with your thumb or something like that when you uh, want to just use it all with your one hand. So that's pretty cool. Have a, Check that out at the Ting blog. They have a bunch of other great stuff. Just go to last.ting.com first to go to their blog and that supports the show. And uh, Watch the other app picks as well. All right, while we're talking about mobile, let's talk about this new Ubuntu tablet that has been promised. Our coverage starts at the OMG Ubuntu site. 
And uh, uh, are you ready for the deets, Noah? I'm gonna load. I'm gonna give you a lowdown. Mm-hmm. Prepare your brain. It's a 10-inch tablet coming from BQ in the uh, second quarter. So next quarter, uh, they're called the M10. It's or it's an existing tablet that they're gonna be able to modify to run Ubuntu. Uh, the current version uh, ships for around 259 euros, and that runs Android. So it's probably going to be somewhere around that. Here's what we got for specs. It's got a 64-bit MediaTek MT863 quad-core processor running at 1.5 gigahertz with 2 gigabytes of RAM. So they say multitasking should be fluid. Uh, it has an 8-megapixel rear camera, 5-megapixel front camera. And it has micro HDMI video out. It also has a micro USB slot or you know port for charging, Wi-Fi 802.11bgn, Bluetooth 4.0, GPS built in. Hey oh, Wi-Fi iPad ain't got that. 11-hour battery with a 7,200 milliamp battery, uh, 470 grams weight. Graphics is a MediaTek Mali T720 MP2 at 600 megahertz. Storage is. A meager 16 gigabytes of eMMC, but it's expandable up to 64 gigabits, gigabytes with micro SD cards. Front-facing spe- speakers, which I think is a big deal for watching movies, and also has Dolby Atmos technology. That's at least in the Android version. And the sensors are, it has a brightness sensor, an accelerometer, and an e-compass. So I, I think I, this sounds compelling to me. What do you think? I'm in... I, I'm in for one reason and one reason, well, two reasons. <clears throat> the first is, if it's coming from Canonical, it's running Linux, I'd actually be comfortable storing files on it. it <clears throat> chances are it will probably support something like Lux anyway, but even if it didn't, I could live with it because I, I'll just, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't put as, you know, uh, sensitive of data on there, but I'd put some data mm-hmm. on there, mm-hmm. at least more, a heck of a lot more than I put on my Android tablet. But the second thing and the big mm-hmm. thing, and the, the usability thing for me is the fact that I can pair it with a mouse and a keyboard and get a lightweight, yeah. Yeah. albeit Linux regular desktop, something right. I'm comfortable with, something right. I use. And, and, and I'll, I'll just to interrupt there, Joey points out uh, in the OMG Ubuntu article that uh, it's worth underscoring this is a 64-bit quad-core ARM processor, um, which mm-hmm. means in the context of convergence and the desktop mode, that actually might be a legitimate feature to have in a tablet like this, a 64-bit CPU. Uh, so that's a big deal. I'm a little worried about 16 gigabytes built-in storage. That seems, you know, these things could change. Uh, I'm a little worried that's a MediaTek processor. These what, things could change. Is there, is there ability for an SD card? Micro SD up to 64 gigabytes. Yeah. So there you go. And the yeah. thing is, the Pixel had 64 gigabytes, and I managed to live on that. So, but and here's the thing. We have to keep this in mind. This is a lightweight desktop, you know, alternative. Yeah, yeah it's like Not, an ultrabook kind of thing. Ex- well, I would say, I'm, to me, the definition of an ultrabook is an ultralight, super thin, powerful laptop. To me, this okay. is this equates more to like a netbook. netbook. And so, and so, if I'm so for the things like when I'm when we're when you and I are at conferences, right, and we're bouncing around from table to table, and I need to open up, and you want to pop an SD card in and listen to a couple of files and rename them, man. This is ideal because it sits inside of the bag. It comes out, you know, you have, you, 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 I mean, it might be a little more difficult because you'd have to have a, you know, a USB cable and, and do that dance. But, you know, you, for, for renaming files and labeling them or maybe uploading them to, uh, you know, the ever so uh, evolvent FTP, uh, things like that, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, there's a great use case for it. Now, am I going to take it, you know, into JB1 and sit down and edit video with it? Probably not. Not with this one. 
Well, but, you know, with a with a seventy two hundred milliamp battery and a one point five gigahertz ARM processor, it could get pretty decent battery life too, which mm-hmm. could make it a nice device. So, uh, in gadget, you know, this thing, this story is running everywhere. And we're showing in gadgets picture right here. All right, front page picture on Engadget is the tablet hooked up with a single cord to a monitor and then a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard. So one cable, and then a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard, and you you get the Unity Eight desktop on that big screen. Uh, and you know, down the road too, you could see how that tablet monitor could even function as a second screen once they're powerful enough to to, to drive the external graphics and the internal graphics at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm really kind of excited to see this. And it, it, here's my next hope, Noah, is I'm really hoping that we don't have to go through some sort of incantation to get in the pre-order process, like uh, shake a tree and then be on Twitter at a certain time and then do a dance and yeah. then write a story and then submit a story with a picture attached and then maybe you go into the pre-drawing. I don't want any kind of one-plus shenanigans <laughs> or anything like that. I want to be able to just order the device like I can yeah. an actual real tablet that, that real manufacturers make. And I'm hoping because it's BQ, that might be a doable thing. Yeah, I'm, it, it's funny how many times I don't end up buying something because it's just simply not available on Amazon. And the thing, it's not that I have any particular allegiance to Amazon. It's just that I know that if it shows up with a little yellow button that says buy and there's a price there, I know I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to click the button and something's going to show up at my door and it's that simple and that straightforward. Um, and you're right. There are certain things and the OnePlus 2, I think, was even worse than the OnePlus 1 in that it was it was the most convoluted Yeah. You know, process ever is super annoying. But, you know, the other thing I'd be interested in, maybe somebody from, you know, that's more involved with the project could speak a little bit more authoritatively on this. I'd be interested to know because I'd imagine this is going to be a real popular question is, you know, is this stuff available for existing hardware? Can I take? Oh, could you buy this uh, tablet running Android and reflash it? Is that your? Well, I have an an Nexus 7 that I I bought specifically to put up onto touch when it came out. Oh, well, that's, see, it's not officially supported device, my friend. Even if it's not officially supported, if, if, is there a way that you can get it to work? Because, because a documented way to get it to work, I should specify. No, no, I think, I think the official answer would be, well, the community is welcome to make that port. Great. So uh, in the meantime, that, that device has been relegated to watching how fast the battery can drain. Um, and, and, and But if this comes out, I would be willing to drop a couple hundred bucks. I'd be honest with you, I'd pay more than $250 for it. I'd pay probably $354 um, if I could have a usable yeah. tablet device that, I could, that would easily transition into a laptop yeah. that would be a full Linux experience and then have a scaled-down tablet-like interface, mm-hmm. because as I've said numerous times, and I stand by this, things that work well on a desktop don't work well on a tablet, and things that work well on a tablet don't work well on a desktop. Everybody on the internet with an opinion, which is everybody. Is everyone on the internet. Yep. Uh, they've all said, and we've been part of that group, have all said that uh, this Ubuntu Touch UI would be great on a tablet. Like, whenever I've used it on a phone, I've been like, it's. I feel cramped because... Um, I don't actually have them all memorized. This is the other problem I have with touch gestures. But when I'm swiping from the from the uh, if I'm holding if I'm holding a bunch of touch device and I'm swiping from the right, mm-hmm. depending on the speed at which I swipe, it actually has different functions. And the nuance between that speed is so uh, and, and so and then on the other side is my launcher. And there was one game I was playing where I, you swipe to play the game, which is like all games, right? And I kept swiping and launching stuff. Or changing the task switcher. So uh, I felt it was too cramped. I kept feeling a little claustrophobic using it on uh, the Nexus 4, which is not a huge screen to begin with. So getting it on a 10, 10.1-inch tablet with a 1920 by 1200 
resolution. 10-point mm-hmm. point capacitive touch uh, sensors. That A 10-point capacitive touch sensor on a larger 10-inch screen is going to make a swipe gesture-based environment feel much roomier. I think it's going to feel much better on a tablet. This is always where I've wanted to put my money for Ubuntu Touch first. Not only that, and I'm going to wrap this my opinion up on this, but I think this, this form factor is much more likely to have um, a more successful... Uh, you're going to have a better time with your standard Linux desktop apps on this 10-inch tablet than you are running LibreOffice on your 4-inch Nexus 4, right? Don't you think, you know, like, LibreOffice you know, or Firefox, which aren't going to have Qt, QML ports to Unity 8 that you're still going to want to run on because they have ARM versions out there, they're going to work a lot better on a 10-inch tablet than a phone, right? You know, as a dovetail onto that, you know, <clears throat> Linux has Linux on the desktop has, uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of competitors that are that are trying to dominate that market. You know, you both you have Windows and Mac OS. And in the phone space, you have Android and iOS that heavily, heavily compete. The tablet space is kind of this weird thing where it is pretty heavily dominated by both Android and iOS. Like if you walk around Sears now, they have all the checkouts running on iOS tablets. and They meet you in the middle of the thing and, and swipe your card and stuff like that. So you, you definitely have a presence there. But I don't think there's a lot of presence in this convergence space and this idea of I want a laptop in a tablet-like form factor that kind of goes between the two. And I can see, I, I've said it before, I can see a huge market for that in, in the business professional world. I, Especially, I know, just, I, fast forward, just fast forward two years. Let's say uh, the processors have doubled in speed in two, three years. And, you know, that's a, that's a low, right? I mean, these ARM processors yeah. are going like crazy. So let's say all the resources and power in this thing double in, in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. With GPUs pretty good, cameras maybe up to 12, 14 plus megapixels, uh, really good camera for doing audio conferencing. You could take a tablet like this, and it could be your main rig while traveling. Because I've really been experimenting with reducing my technology when I travel. And yeah. you brought a USB headset, and, 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 and you could really make this your remote podcasting rig with mm-hmm. a built-in mm-hmm. camera. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of potential for something like this, especially for somebody like you who travels a lot and you want to be Linux-based. So I'm really excited about this, and we'll be following any other future developments about when pricing or uh, when it goes on for sale. And if maybe uh, Mr. Pope or others want to come on Unplugged and tell us other details that we've missed, we'd love to hear that too. So, Any other thoughts on the uh, tablet before we wrap up there, Noah? I'll let you know when mine arrives. Yeah, <laughs> when yours arrives. <laughs> All right, I'm pretty excited about this. I don't even fully grok what it's going to mean, but Keybase, the people behind Keybase.io have the Keybase file system. Keybase.io is like a social networking around uh, your, your 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 public key. So, Noah, you talked about this in our scale episode last week, but one of the problems with public keys is you you went to a key signing party where people mm-hmm. were like, that's Noah, I verify that's Noah, so you can trust that's Noah's key. And that's definitely mm-hmm. one way to do it, but in the online era, a, a service like uh, Keybase has been trying to solve this problem. And uh, I'm a Keybase member, you know, and I don't I don't remember uh, how long ago I signed up. It has been it's been ages. But the way it works is it, it you you verify your identity by your social accounts, your websites, all these different things that you can get that get add trust to say who you really are is who you are. And then so when the audience out there wants to look up my key, they can go to keybase.io slash I think it's just slash Chris Les. Let me look, uh, Chris Les. Yeah, and so this is my identity on Keybase. So you know that, and I, you can see that I have confirmed uh, on GitHub. I've confirmed it by confirming it via the Jupyter Broadcasting website, which I think is pretty reaffir- re- reassuring to the audience. Uh, and I've confirmed it using Bitcoin. 
Uh, so I have a couple of different ways, and you can actually send me messages uh, this way, and there's a whole keychain. We've talked about all of this before. Uh, and so now, the guys at Keybase, instead of figuring out how they're going to make money, have decided to launch a peer-to-peer file system that uses encryption. Uh, it's an alpha release of, of it right now, so don't put anything uh, really all that important in there. But every file you write is signed. Every file you write to this file system is signed with your key. There's no manual signing process, no tarring or GSIP, no detached signatures. Instead, everything in this folder appears as plain text files on everyone's computer. You can even open slash keyblaze slash public slash your name in a, fo- in a finder or explorer or web dev share, and you can get it. So like slash keybase slash public slash chris les would be mine. And I can make that public, and those are all files that I've put there that are signed by me. So when you're in like a thread on Reddit or Hacker News or IRC or Slack or Mattermost or Rocket Chat, and you want to you just make something available to everybody, you can put it there and they know it's really your file. Uh, in fact, when they were setting up uh, with some funding, they talked about uh, how they had to go back and forth on Twitter, and it was, a t- it, was pretty, it was pretty embarrassing. They say, you'll be able to throw data into slash keybase slash private slash your name uh, uh, and comma pal at Twitter. Even if, that, even if he hasn't joined yet, your app will encrypt just for you and then awake and rekey in the background when that Twitter user joins and announces a key. So they'll watch for that. When they join and, co- and pair it with their Twitter account, it'll rekey to that. And then they'll have access to the files you've shared with them on the Keybase file system OS. So you can see when they were, uh, when they were setting up for funding, one of the guys says, if you use Dropbox, DM me your email address for that account, and I'll share the video with you. And then he writes back, apparently I can't DM you because you're not following me. I'll have to email you when I get off work. He replies back, oops, sorry, I thought I was. So the whole idea is you'll just say, go find the file at slash Keybase slash my name, comma, your name, and you'll have access to this file. Just be able to do it right out there. You can even do it in the public. And of course, you can all do it via the command line, too, because they have command line utilities for Linux. So I don't know much about this, but this sounds like a pretty compelling way for people to exchange files online. And it's not so much about the encryption of those files, but verifying who the files are from and where they're going and making sure that... So really, I could publicly give you a path in the IRC chat room that only you could get access to, or everyone could get access to, depending on how I set it up. Using and Keybase, this whole thing's going to be open source. This whole file system. Do you think that there's a security uh, privacy concern here, where you know if you start signing, if if we start signing these files, essentially we have also enabled the ability to track those files back to not necessarily a, you know a a person, but definitely to uh, an identity you know, a specific source. Because yeah. that identity, the identities have to be verified on both ends. It could be you know a, an elaborate online identity. Um, but I think the the thing about uh, GPG encryption isn't isn't so much about hiding the metadata because when you sign some when you send me a GPG encrypted email, all mm-hmm. the SMTP data is still out in the clear, and right, so all yeah. of the who got sent to who what at what time is out there, and it's mm-hmm. but the contents are encrypted. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it's kind of it sort of works the same way. They also do end to end folder encryption, which is pretty cool. So you can do entire folders. Um, I don't know. I, I'm really curious to see where they go with this. I think they have a pretty interesting service to begin with. But you're right. It does. It does. But so does Dropbox and pretty much everything else, right? They all kind of track yeah. you back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's not any worse. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. And uh, congrats to the folks over at Keybase.io. So I wanted to just cover this story. You got some traction in our subreddit. Uh, why the Internet of Things should break up with the cloud. 
And uh, this, I don't mean to go, we don't have to go get all on the lawn, but uh, just a couple of points did really stand out at me that I thought that our Linux-loving audience would admit. So it opens with, for Internet of Things developers, the cloud is like a beer in a college dorm. A cold one is around every corner you turn, and beer just becomes a constant part of academic life. So when Internet of Things developer is offered free cloud-based frameworks, databases, analytics, etc., Reactions like, hey, look at the, all this cool cloud stuff. I think I'll use it to build an Internet of Things product is more than an exception. He makes a great point. Is it's, it's not just about like Azure processing and things like that. It's about frameworks that you just can use to get like a whole bunch of your work done that use cloud services built into them. Or uh, analytics to see when things crash or how users are using these services, use these cloud services. So I, I, this is a great... This is a great piece to understand because there is a lot of reasons that push developers to create devices that are hooked into proprietary, closed-off online services that can just go away, like we talked about last week. Uh, For example, let's pick on the Nest thermostat just for a second as an example of how this works. So a Nest thermostat has a Wi-Fi radio and is accessed via your smartphone, which also has a Wi-Fi radio. That yet, for your smartphone to access your Nest thermostat, it does so via a long-distance internet session with a Nest cloud server, even though it would be faster and more reliable to connect to your thermostat and smartphone on a peer-to-peer basis. But because of the way everything's set up, the way their service works, it just goes to the cloud first. There's a lot of frameworks that go to the cloud first. Cloud-based Internet of Things developer platforms pop up weekly. No doubt, due to the low, bench or area, 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 low bar of entry, geez louise, provided by the cloud, the extreme example being the shark-jumping Salesforce Internet of Things platform. Uh, Or maybe the Fitbit, a wristband that connects via Bluetooth with your smartphone, but then sends your activity data to the Fitbit cloud app, and then back down to your phone for for you to view the process. (coughs) Next-generation Internet of Things computing platforms that include augmented reality are already using round-trip to the cloud to resolve objects in the headset. So as we build in new stuff, we're also just building it around the cloud. It's cheap and it's everywhere. Compared to older desktop-based tools, cloud-based environments and APIs are vastly simple to use and integrate while offering robust functionality. But as we know, it's riddled, riddled with issues. Also, I'd point out that both Apple and Google are heavily influencing it, Apple by not supporting NFC properly in the iPhone, forcing everyone who wants to be compatible with a vast majority of iPhone users to use Bluetooth, and of course, Google... Google has their pl- their paws in it because they want to collect data and do advertising and all other kinds of things. So it's already an unhealthy relationship between devices and the cloud, and users are left right in the middle. So uh, I remain sort of like stuck too because there, this to me it seems to apply not just to like uh, things that control lights like the Hughes lights here in the studio, but also things like Roku's and Fire TVs and uh, things like that. Where, for example, in the Rover uh, in Lady Jupiter now, Rover Two, whatever, I would like to be able to go down the road, driving down the freeway at sixty-five miles per hour, and be able to have the kids watch anything they want off of a local box that doesn't have any external connectivity. Because it's just not easy to stream high-definition video at 60 miles per hour. So uh, I, this, to me, seems like it should be such a simple thing. Yet, to get a small box that does everything I want, I'm talking like Netflix and, and maybe Amazon Prime Video or something like that, it just doesn't exist. Doesn't doesn't really exist. You can build a Kodi box to do some of these things, but I also have certain limitations there. I really feel like this... Like, I'm really looking for solutions that aren't internet connected, and it's be- my options are becoming fewer and fewer. So, <clears throat> I hate the cloud. 
I have hated the cloud. I've, I yeah. even hate the name. I even hate the term the cloud. So I, I won't make any uh, any uh, you know you, that I've I've gone on record numerous times and say that I think you should own your own data. You shouldn't rely on other people's services. All that said. I'm going to take the opposite side simply for the purpose of discussions. Does not necessarily represent. You know, and by the way, just really quick, not just before you before you on your tear. The cloud to me now has turned from what really is just other people's computers that we call the cloud. You know, right? That is a, definitely a form of the cloud. But now there is this new abstracted layer where you don't even you only interact using APIs and keys, and you don't ever even really work with the below software. That is sort of like this weird abstracted software as a service that isn't really like remote hosted because sometimes you hit it once and it hits one set of servers. You hit it again, it hits a whole other set. Like it's, it is a totally different beast. And a lot of these things are plugging into these services and APIs that are available that aren't quite just running your data on other people's computers, but it's a form of it at the same time. It's getting weird, Noah. It's getting thick out there. It, it is. It, so here's the opposite. Here's the Here's the argument from the other side. The argument from the other side is people are morons and they're lazy. And so they're lazy morons. And so what it comes down to is um, there are people out there that they'll bring home their thermostat and they want to put it on the wall and they want to turn it on and they want everything to happen automatically for them. And they, they want to just have jazz hands and then the thermostat works. And in order to have the the the, the kind of connectivity that, uh, that runs my entire house, I'm living what I, what I preach, uh, I have to know the IP addresses of those devices and I have to know the ports of those devices to get them to work properly uh, if it's going to interface with outside d devices. I have to I have to know how to get my public IP. I have to know how to forward that it, the the port inside of my router to the individual device and that's what gives me the ability to control that stuff from outside the house. And so for the people that are either too lazy or, or too ignorant to figure that kind of thing out, they have to be able to have some sort of third... If you're a manufacturer and you want this stuff to work, if you want to be able to plug the Nest thermostat in and change the temperature on your way home, you don't have a choice but to have a third-party service you you know that, that sits up in the cloud and mm -hmm. connects down to this thermostat and says, uh, I uh, this device exists <clears throat> and here's the app that's installed. And so when this person says, I want to raise the degree, uh, the temperature of three degrees, then send it to this device, you know, that's that is it really, that's the only way to make that stuff work. And I have, I have always been uncomfortable. It, it, it has it, ever since I got burned, uh, you know, a couple years ago, I'll probably never get over this. So I'll walk around with the chip on my shoulder for the rest of my life with a software company that burned me with an activation code for software that we paid $20,000 for, not we, a client, but, and I, we couldn't reactivate the software because they said that they would no longer activate versions. So, so, and so, and so, and older. Um, I have, I have just totally gone away from anything that requires that company to stay in existence or function. I, I want to work or get bought out for that matter. Yeah. I think I want I th nothing to do with it. I think you I had a life lesson for all of us when that happened to you, Noah, is that if it's important to you and you want to yeah. own it and it relies on a remote connected service, right. you should probably manage and control that you need to have ownership and it should probably be open source. So my lights, beautiful. My lights, my thermostat, you know, anything that's connected to my network. I yeah. care about all that stuff. So this is so this is why I want you to come out well before Linux Fest because I got a couple ideas about taking things offline. Okay. Uh, like so idea. before we go offline, let's talk about Steam games. Hey, everybody. Hi. Uh, this is a pretty cool game. So XCOM 2, everybody knows XCOM. If you don't, 
don't feel bad. It's just a really well-known, loved game. XCOM 2 just came out, and what I think is super exciting about this is not only is it just a, a real like tier one game, but launched on the same day with Windows, Linux, and Mac support. Just requires Ubuntu 14.04, an i3 processor, 8 gigabytes of RAM. Here's the big whammy right now. And they're working on this, I, I would imagine. NVIDIA-only GPUs. In fact, they even recommend an NVIDIA 960, which I think that's probably crazy. But an NVIDIA-only GPU right now. That's a, a bit of a bummer. Uh, but it's... A pretty slick game. It's a it, it is a it is a it's a different take on a game that I think you might really like, Noah, uh, okay. because I know how you get with the first person shooters. I know how yes. you, you get with those. Uh, yep. Your son will just whoop you in a first person shooter. He will whoop that you. Happens. And so this is more of a strategy game. It's a sequel to the award winning strategy game XCOM: Enemy Unknown. So this is the next one. They just released it. Twenty years have passed since humanity lost the war against the alien invaders, and the new world order now exists on Earth. After years of lurking in the shadows, X. XCOM forces must rise and eliminate the alien occupation. And what's really cool about this is like human manufacturing plants don't exist anymore. So there's a lot of like integrating alien technology and they're scavenging for old classic human parts. So it's got a full 3D engine. You get into the zone and you get into the combat. And then at a different, at a different point in the game, you take an overhead perspective for managing. Uh, at least in the previous XCOMs. I haven't played this one. But there's a lot of really cool, like, going in there, setting up your troops, setting up your location, leveling up people. Uh, but it's done in a way that's very easy to follow, very easy to, to understand. Like, I'm not, I don't have a lot of capacity for, like, uh, quickly learning how these games, like, how you make all these things work in these games. But I'll just give you an example of, like, a kind of a cool scene uh, here in the game. Harmless to human life. If only the same could be said for the rest of the Aliens technology. Commander. Dr. Richard Tigan, Chief Science Officer. I am responsible for the entirety of our research here, as well as the procedure you so recently underwent. Welcome to my lab, such as it is. I'm not sure what Central may have told you, but we found something while removing you from the alien stasis suit. A device implanted directly in your occipital lobe. So this is how they set up the story. It's pretty cool, but it's not just like a random cutscene. It also is sort of getting you to like this guy, so that way you give him more resources and crew. Had mm -hmm. I access to the equipment available to me during my tenure at Advent, I would already know the precise nature of its function. However, given time and your approval, of course, Commander, I assure you, I will find out. Which brings to light an additional point. Though aspects of this facility are indeed impressive. So then he asked for upgrades. It's a good, good, solid game. Check it out, XCOM 2. Uh, right now, though, on the Steams, it's uh, 60 bucks. So you might find Holy it. Cow. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, like I say, it's a, uh, it's a triple-A game. It's a, it's a big deal. So that's why. It, uh, and I don't know about that 960 NVIDIA requirement, but do remember AMD and Intel GPUs not supported at this time because Linux is hard, apparently. But it is out there for uh, the Nvidia folks, and it's pretty cool. XCOM Two is a great new game for Linux. There, that I had to get my uh, I had to get my my game. And we haven't talked about games for a while, and when a big one lands on Linux, I think it's worth mentioning. You know, Noah. You know, I would have. Here's the thing that I I'm call me simplistic, but like 
the like the whole storyline and the, the yeah all, yeah just get get to the point. You just want to race the sun. That's what you want. Let's start shooting people. Race the sun's the right game for you. It's nice. Yeah yeah game. yeah. Exactly exactly. I, yeah. There's no intro. There's no nothing. You click yeah. start. The spaceship. I, I normally am not into any of that, but XCOM is the exception for me. That's why okay. it is the exception because they inter- there's 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 relevant things to the game in there that are pretty good. So. Yeah, yeah, that is, and distance is fun too. All right, Noah. Well, that's all the news for the week. Let's go talk about Mattermost versus Rocket Chat versus Slack. Let's collaborate in a brand new way that's supposedly way better than IRC forums or mailing lists or online discussions, but. Everybody seems to be loving it. Slack, it's the new hotness that's grabbing a lot of projects by storm. You probably heard a lot of people talking about Slack. We've mentioned it from time to time in our shows. We've been using it for a couple of months now to organize a lot of our back-end stuff. And so it's come up. Should we really be using a closed-source service to do this? Or is there an open-source solution that's way better? Or at least has potential to be better? And especially if a lot of us in the open-source community started putting our energy into that, it might evolve very quickly. And there's a bunch of different contenders out there. Uh, and the two popular ones, at least from our survey, appear to be Rocket Chat and Mattermost. Both are similar in some sense and fundamentally different in other senses, especially like the setup and things like that. So we're going to take a look at these two top Slack competitors in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, tell you which one we've decided to go with for production here at Jupiter Broadcasting, and maybe opening up to the community. It's a big, big segment, and I hope, even if you're not interested in deploying something like this yourself, you are interested in how open source software gets made and how those groups collaborate and will be collaborating in the future. Uh, but first, let me tell you about our friends at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com unplugged to get the unplugged discount right here for the Linux Action Show. This is a platform for anybody interested in the technology stack in, on, and around Linux, built by Linux enthusiasts, created for Linux enthusiasts, educators, developers, and Linux diehards got together and created Linux Academy. 2,299 video self-paced courses with downloadable comprehensive study guides. They have scenario-based labs and instructor help whenever you need it. Graded server exercises, courses built around Red Hat, obviously, Linux in general, Python, OpenStack, PHP, Amazon Web Services, Android DevOps, Ruby, Python, there's others. They have in-depth resources, live events, detailed notes, practice exams, which is super nice for me because I do not test very well. Your own Linux server comes with the courseware, spins up on demand when you need it, seven plus distributions you choose from, and then they modify the courseware and the server. They have enhanced learning plans allow you to create a learning plan that will guide you along with your studying. It's as simple as putting in your available daily study time. And then a special algorithm will create detailed learning plans with reminders and daily assignments, labs, and quizzes that are due. It also will create an expected completion date that helps you schedule some of your cert exams down the road. It's very nice. They have certification preparation for Linux certified training, AWS certification training, OpenStack, and DevOps. They also have a deal with the Linux Foundation, all of those. This is one of the resources that Noah uses for his Red Hat certified training. Check him out at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our discount and support this show. They got lots of new features they've rolled out recently, including Ansible, AWS, Docker, and Elastic Beanstalk, a new Cloud Cadet episode. Linux Academy is growing all the time, and you're always getting more value out of your subscription. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. I've been a member for, I think, almost... Two years now? Yeah. 
Yeah, oh. I, I, I jumped on right when right when they came or, or when you announced them on uh, on unplugged. unplugged yeah, Gavin Turner. You know, the thing is, I use them for two things. I use them for all of the work stuff. Uh, you know, keep up on certification stuff like that. But it's also kind of turned. It's my version of. It's my Netflix or my uh, my my cheap entertainment at night that I can goof around with because I'm a I'm a I, I can't do the whole like I'm going to sit in front of a TV and, and mm-hmm. watch it. That's just not my idea of entertaining. I just I have to be doing something constructive or, or it drives me nuts. I need little projects, and when I run out of actual useful projects or things I can get paid to do, then I got to go do something on my own. And that's that's kind of that's, yeah. that's basically what I use Linux Academy for. After I'm done with the certification for you know because Red Hat's like four years, five years, something like that. In between, now I'm like I'm going through programming, and actually I'm I'm using Linux Academy actually to try to write a desktop app or work on a desktop app or at least understand how a desktop app when I hire a developer to do a desktop app works nice for OS ticket because I want a native good think it that's a great yeah. idea that is really cool I've thought about all kinds of things linuxacademy.com slash unplugged go try it out go scratch an itch and see what sticks might find something brand new so I want to start with Rocket Chat this week. Uh, and uh, Rocket Chat and Mattermost were suggested the most by our community. Most of the time it goes like this. Hey, you guys should check out Mattermost. And then somebody says, also Rocket Chat. And uh, they're both open source. They both uh, allow for on-premises deployment. Uh, they're um, both free. And uh, they both are essentially collaboration tools. Uh, and I want to show you... Um, Kind of the difference in setting them up. Rocket Chat uh, is very straightforward, better or worse. Rocket Chat's official uh, deployment is using Docker. So you deploy a MongoDB Docker container, and then you deploy a Rocket Chat container that's linked to that MongoDB container. And then it's up and running. That's essentially, you can use some port forwarding and things like that to get a, a regular URL, but that's essentially the recommended installation of Rocket Chat, which to me feels a little unofficial, to be honest with you, because I'm not sure what the long term upgrade process is with my data. But it's an interesting way to do it, and you can get going really fast. And Docker is definitely a viable platform for people to do this kind of thing. Mattermost, Mattermost has a much more traditional installation. If you're going to use it in production, they recommend you deploy it on a database server, on a web server. You can do it on three separate servers or a single server, depending on your size, and they have instructions for that. If you're testing, then they say use Docker. So be prepared if you want to deploy Mattermost for a step-by-step guide. If you're going to do it in production and you want to have it the way they recommend you do it, and that involves installing Postgres SQL, setting up the Postgres SQL, uh, configuring user accounts, setting up Mattermost, installing Nginx, setting up Nginx, it's a little more involved, but it's certainly doable. So that's so that's sort of the initial difference. Rocket Chat, you could have it up in five minutes. Mattermost, maybe more like 15, 20 minutes. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know, there's, there's different technologies. Essentially, Rocket Chat is a web app that you drop into a directory and then use Nginx to uh, port forward to it. Mattermost is more of a little bit more of a traditional server installation using their official method. They both give you a web-based chat environment uh, that supports code snippets, image uploads, uh, file uploads, team chats, private messages, uh, image embedding, topic embedding. I'll show you. Here is Rocket Chat. This is Rocket Chat that we have going right now. And we have a general channel. You can see if there's any other channels. Yep, there's a last channel. And Sweet Lou and Lippy and, and Whisker207 are in here. And I can ask to join. And now I've joined. You can see it also. Right, let me bring up the web browser a little bit down here. It has support for voice notes to some degree. It has inline code support. Uh, and you can, get it, you can get a little sample of that by looking at some of the things people have been putting in line. And Rocket Chat also has mobile apps available for iOS 
and Android. Ready to go right now. So you can get up and running in minutes. I'm going to tell you why you would use something like this over IRC in a minute. I just want to keep going. Now here's Mattermost. Mattermost looks a lot like Rocket Chat, which looks a lot like Slack. You can see here's an example of some images. Here is some inline code snippets, no mark, uh, no uh, highlighting like in Rocket Chat, but still there. Rough, uh, rough markdown support in here. And here you can see people from the chat room are, t are chatting away. It's, it's, very, it's a very usable environment. I could attach a file here. I can see just mentions for just me here on the side, which is a nice feature. I can see all of the people who are active in this room right now. I can send them messages directly if I want. I can do a text search. I can set the channel header and the, ch and the topic. I can set my notification preferences per channel. So some topics I get notified and other ones I don't. Both available in, in Rocket Chat as well as Mattermost. Rocket Chat seems to have a pretty good UI, but I'm not as comfortable with the setup, and their, their mobile app feels a little clunkier to me, even though Rocket Chat has a mobile app for iOS and Android. Mattermost only has an iOS app, but that app feels more robust, and they're working on an Android one right now. Um, so yeah, those Chatter, are that's sort of the basics. Chatter Go ahead. Point out that Rocket Chat does have the ability to do a traditional <laughs> install now. I guess the Docker thing was just yeah. more or less an initial. Well, thing. it's and still it's sort of the way they push everybody. But yeah, of course. I mean, because it's set up in a Docker image in, in an Ubuntu environment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess the question that you would be asking, a lot of people in the chat room would be asking, is why are people using these types of collaboration services instead of something like IRC? Because we, you know, we all know that IRC has been around for ages. Um, and a couple of things struck me for group, for group collaboration. When you're working on a project or you're working in a business, it is nice to have one persistent space where even when you're not there, you can still go back and read the entire chat log. Uh, you can archive it off. And everybody has the same exact capabilities because everybody is using the same exact client, either the desktop version or the web version. In IRC, not everybody has a persistent connection and sees the entire log, so therefore they can miss entire parts of the conversation. And when you're all working remotely, this is a nice feature. In IRC, not everyone has the same IRC client. Some IRC clients show images in line. Uh, some will preview text that you link in there or YouTube videos. Some are just raw, plain text and don't do anything but just show text. So there's not a commonality. Uh, I can't plus one a comment in IRC, which means I don't, I could, like in, in some of these, you can just go in there and say, I agree, I'll give a plus one to that comment. You don't need to re actually reply. Um, there, are, there are functionalities in, in Mattermost and Rocket Chat that aren't quite available in IRC, like voice chats, uh, inline code snippets, markdown support, those kinds of things that aren't necessarily available. Um, so that's kind of nice. The persistent chat, though, is a pretty great, a pretty great feature because it means that uh, the team and I can be discussing something about this week's episode of Last for uh, maybe all day Thursday, and Noah's out at a client. And he gets back Thursday evening, he's able to open up the Last thread, and he's able to be up to speed on everything that developed, no worrying if his IRC client was logged in or logged out of the environment. And, he, and I also know that any image, and sometimes we'll put screenshots of apps and stuff in the thread, he'll see it too. Uh, he doesn't have to click it and load it in a separate tab. It's going to be inline in there, those kinds of things. So it has some it, advantages over actually, IRC. You can actually go through inside. Well, I mean, we're, we've been using Slack, but you can go through in Slack and actually look and you can say, oh, I can tell that Monday, Tuesday, and when, or, uh, Monday, Tuesday Wednesday are kind of slow and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are super busy because if you look, you can see where I'm periodically checking in and then I'll just go through and say this person, 
address that, this person address that, this person address that, this person address that, but it's all in one block. And that's because I'm going in there one time and addressing all that stuff and, you know, and going back. And so, and the other thing is because it's segmented out into different categories, we have one for last and one for unplugged and one for, we had one specifically for scale. Because of that, you have less clutter. So for example, when we're using like a Viber or a Telegram, we had, you know, production chat in there. Or even in IRC where you had production chat, everything from everything related to production was all in one space and that got to be cluttered. Now you could argue that you could go through and make individual chats for you know every individual topic. That like, would be kind of a I just want to I'll show you though, just to go so on Mattermost here. Let's say you want to create a new channel. And it's really easy. Anybody can do it. I can do a new channel. Name is gonna be Chris is super hungry. And you see, so now it's Jupiter chat, Jupiter.chat slash colony slash Chris is dash is super. Like it, it automatically makes a URL that you could share with people. The purpose is, are you as hung uh, as hungry as Chris? Tell me about it. So this is just a channel for people to complain about how hungry they are, like I am right now. Hey guys, I am super hungry. Okay, so you can say this is the start of a channel right here. Now uh, I can I can set a header. Uh, let's talk about how hungry I am. Okay, so there's my header. That notifies everyone in the channel that I've just changed the header. And uh, now Doug, uh, Douglas Coase is just in there, and I can invite others to the channel. I can see everybody who's online right now. I'll invite Blaster. He might be hungry. Ham Radio might be hungry. And CP, I hear I'll, I'll invite you too, Noah. See, now people are joining into uh, the I'm Super Hungry channel. And we can help. Yeah, come on in. I hear knocking. I thought I heard knocking. I'm so hungry, I'm hearing knocking now. So there, oh, look at that. Douglas Codes is going to Korean barbecue in an hour. So this is, this is a nice way for anybody to be able to set it up. Uh, hi there. Hi, what you got? You, hi. <laughs> oh, Noah. Oh, no, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to. This is, this is, the timing of this is unbelievable. I wonder how Ben's, how Ben's not watching. Do you know what this is, Noah? Can you, do you know what that is right there? Do you, you see that right there? What? <laughs> So for those of you uh, listening, uh, I've been handed a bag full. Is there that that, that feels like extra uh, honey chicken or uh, honey shrimp in there? Thank you, darling. Thank you. Hadia saves the show once again. So you see how you see how important group group collaboration chat is, and how people are able to execute in like a really like fast and efficient method. And 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 Noah in the past, this is this is a great analogy. In the past, Noah has flown like three states over. To go to Panda Express, and now yeah. with collaboration tools like this, uh, working More as a team, Hadia was on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, you. I know before we started the segment, you were kind of like, I I prefer to use Telegram over Slack or Mattermost. That's tell me a little true. bit about that, and I want to tell you why you're completely wrong. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, with a, with a with a setup like that, who could refuse? Um, I really prefer, I don't have a lot of time in the day to be sorting through things. And you have the luxury of being involved with basically a singular organization. And then, and basically everything can, can cater around that organization. I don't have that luxury. And so basically I work with a number of different clients who have their own individual infrastructure and I have to tie that into my infrastructure. And then in the case of Jupiter Broadcasting, it's like this arm out on a leg that I have to be, I need to be, you know, involved and current with. And at the same time, I really don't have the ability to say, well, I want to tie it into this or I want to use it this way or I want to interact that way. It, it, it is going to exist and I just have to be uh, you know, a part so of that ecosystem. Here's, what, here's why I think it's actually – so in your case, you could have like a Slack thread or a Mattermost thread for every client where discussions around those clients happen there. But then but, everyone would have to use Slack or Mattermost. 
just like everybody has to use OS ticket or whatever your solution right. is for. Right. So for me, and I think this is why where we differ is uh, I I generally manage each show in in batches. So when it's time to work on Linux Action Show, I get done with TechSnap. And even though we work on the shows all week long, and that's one of the things that we use Slack for is keeping things moving all week long, mm-hmm. uh, my brain fully switches into last mode as soon as I get done doing the TechSnap intro. And right. then all I really want to think about is the Linux Action Show. And yeah. so uh, the fact that I can then separate off all of our other shows into separate threads that can wait for me is very valuable on how I focus. And if you think about like how developers might be working on one aspect of a project and then another aspect and another aspect, and they can segment those off and just dedicate themselves to that and that conversation. And then because a bunch of people can be involved in it, um, a lot of times somebody will ask a question and then Rekai can answer it for me. By the time I get back, the problem's already solved. Uh, and I didn't have to jump right in, as opposed to a telegram, which hits my phone and leaves me a notification badge, and I know there's something in there. Like, I just I can't unplug from it completely. The other really nice thing about Mattermost and Rocket Chat and Slack is they have really simple, straightforward team support. You can have multiple teams. So we could have a Jupyter Colony Mattermost that's public to, say, all of the patrons, right? Mm-hmm. All the patrons get access to a Jupyter Colony Mattermost installation. And then we could have on that same server another team, which is just our private stuff. And it makes it really easy to switch between the teams. And so I could be in one mode and I can switch over to the other mode and have them completely segmented and isolated off, which mm-hmm. I, I find to be extremely valuable because it, it, sort of, it sort of allows me to jump in publicly and then work privately behind the scenes on stuff uh, in a way that is clearly and cleanly segmented and uh, isolated. So, I, so I, don't, I don't find it to be a problem that's often its own thing. I find that to be an advantage. Yeah, and so I guess what I've done is I, I like the isolation effect, and I do agree that it's very important to compartmentalize and move you know, things into their own categories. And the way I've done that is simply with muted Telegram chats. Now, I, I still get badge notifications, I think, though, or something. I don't. Maybe that's a difference between iOS and, and Android. Yeah, probably. Well, I don't even think but, Android officially supports badges. Yeah, oh, okay. Maybe that's it. But so basically... Um, uh, when I open up my Telegram, I have I have like uh, you know a ghosted to tell me that there is a message there or that there's been uh, you know activity since the last time I've been there. But I other than that, I don't know that anything's happened. If it's unmuted, then I actually get a push notification, a sound, and you know an active notification yeah. saying there's something that demand, demands my immediate attention. And so basically, the things that are passive, like in your case, uh, if if I have something that will demand my attention at some point, go ahead and put it in my muted Telegram chat, and when I get to it, I'll get to it. But if not, then I, I, I get to choose when I want to start addressing these issues, that those issues. But I don't have, you know, three or four different solutions I have to go through. I have one device, one central communication hub that I can go so to. A couple, a couple more points before you go too much further. Uh, so a couple of things I like better about this if for my organization is Mattermost mm-hmm. is hosted on my own server. Telegram is pretty, that's true. Is, you know, pretty good, yep. but it's still, you still have that issue. Other mm-hmm. thing that's kind of nice is you just need a web browser to use it. So if you take a look at this screen, the Jupyter Colony here, I can I can do an invite code and I give people out an invite code to get in, which is really mm-hmm. nice. I can include in a team directory. I can allow sign up from the front page. It just mm-hmm. makes collaboration dead, straightforward, and simple with large teams. Uh, yeah, whereas so- Telegram, once I give you my Telegram, I'm I'm giving you I'm giving you the ability to page me. Even uh, if not, it's I even mean, if it's in an I- offline thread, I open up Telegram to talk to chat with you know, family members and friends. And mm-hmm. if I start seeing, and I see a mumble thread that's 45 messages deep, I have to go in there and see what it's about. Even if it's a different color number, there's still a number there telling me there's 45 things that have happened that I need to probably catch up on. So it's just not quite the same. 
So I, I don't have the, I guess I just don't, for the, for those things that are muted, I, especially like, so for, for the, we have a mumble group that is just for, just for the people that casually use mumble. And then we all, like, if somebody's get talking in mumble about a picture, we'll post the link into telegram, that kind of stuff. I open it up once a week just to clear that little uh, unused thing, but I don't actually read any of this stuff because I don't care unless I'm actually active in mumble chatting. I just don't care about stuff that, that occurs in there. But as far as the sep- allowing segregation of people, we've actually just set up a link on our website that people can go to and send a Telegram message, but they don't actually have access to my Telegram username. And so I can talk with those I can talk with those people or people can send me a message, but I don't necess- they don't necessarily have direct access to me. And that's, again, segregated in its own channel. So if I'm out doing family stuff, that channel is muted fancy. and I don't look at it. Yeah. So, I mean, there, I mean, I think we're accomplishing, you know, the same thing in, in slightly different ways, but a lot of it comes down to preference. I think that you, uh, you I guess, uh, from what I'm hearing, d- demand the ability to totally and completely remove yourself from uh, individual categories, and for me, it's much more important to be to be to stay tangentially connected to all of those categories, but simply be able to focus strongly on one and push all the rest of them to a background. And I would say, for me, some of it that is a huge part of it. That's a key part, but also, I don't feel like using instant an instant messenger for all that stuff is using the right tool for the job. And then, last but not least, I think what you're kind of downplaying and forgetting here is. In leg code support, preview of uh, links pasted in the room so you don't have to click the dumb link. You just get a nice preview. Uh, previews of YouTube or Google Doc links that you embed in there. Markdown support, rough markdown support. Uh, the ability to upload to that channel and have it stay persistent for people to come join at a later time. And have it be something that doesn't require them to install Telegram. Like These are all features that you just get by having a Mattermost installation. And then last but not least, it's hosted on your own server. Uh, so you, to, to, I think what you're saying is, yeah, I can I can contort Telegram into doing all of these different things because it has a group chat feature and an ability to mute, but you're then you're sort of you're sort of negating all of the other features that matter most in Rocket Chat have, which is chat yeah. happens to be the same thing that you can do in IRC. You can accomplish all of those same things you just did with an IRC client if you configure the yeah. IRC client properly. This yeah. is doing things well, that neither one of those things can do. And I mean part of it I think is that I don't so for example, I don't use the uh, the um the the markdown support inside of uh, inside of any of these I just don't use it and I don't have much I don't really care about the external link in fact frankly I'd rather have it open up inside of a browser so I can see what the entire article is about or if it's a video so I can full screen it inside of YouTube that kind of thing um, so those things aren't necessarily a priority to me um, and the the thing uh, again for me it all comes down to how do I get it down to the minimal amount of applications I can install totally? As far as actually having, you don't actually have to install Telegram. I can go to web.telegram.org and and you know and sign into the you know to the website and, and send or receive messages that way too. So I mean, it, it's not necessarily that you have to install the client. It's certainly more convenient. You certainly get more usability out of it. Um, and for me personally, I'd rather have that client. But the the yeah. um, I think it just comes down, I guess, you know, personal preference, I suppose, to a large majority of it. But the the one thing that you have me on that I don't have a good answer for is the uh, is the fact with Mattermost, it's like you said, it's your hosted client. And there are people right now that this week, actually, that I couldn't talk to because they refuse to use um, 
uh, you know, very closed down uh, Telegram. And they keep, you know, with the whole ISIS thing and, and, and now they've banned certain bots and stuff. Uh, Telegram has over and over and over shown that they are watching. They are paying attention to what's happening and they are controlling and, and censoring some of that stuff. And I don't have a good answer for that. That just, that, that that's a solid strike in your favor. Well, uh, I guess I would just, yeah, I, I want to move on. I think we'll just, I think, I think I, my opinion is you're, you're not, you're not doing it right. I think you're using Telegram for stuff that Telegram's not really meant for. Uh, but that's fine. If you don't have, if you're not developing and creating something, I think that's probably, it's for people like that are software developers or when you're doing content creation, I think this is much more obvious choice. Uh, Mattermost and Rocket Chat. And I want to just really quickly talk about Slack. Um, all of these, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care what people use. If they use IRC, Telegram, um, Skype, whatever. Uh, this is just what people are using out there. And so Slack is the big one. Slack is the Skype and Google Docs of this space. And one of the things I definitely noticed when working already with all this stuff is a lot of people already have Slack accounts. They already have Slack set up. They have Slack installed on their phone. It's huge already. And uh, Slack, I think at this point, is probably a slightly better product. If you, really, if you actually want to use all of the features, you do have to pay like 8 bucks a user, which can be quite a bit of money if you have a bunch of users. Um, the mobile apps are more baked. The uh, integration with third-party services is better, um, but it doesn't. It's not open. And it, the thing is, is with a little bit of time, some of these could be, with the open-source community behind them, could really see some interesting expansion. Where the uh, why we would use it over Telegram would be very obvious. If you start integrating in really good, useful bots and third-party services. Um, it becomes really obvious why you'd want to do something like this. Like, if there was a way, Noah, where we get, and we very, we very much can, because these are very extensible programs, uh, where we could integrate it with live chats and mm -hmm. events and things like that, where, you know, when we start, when we do a bang start show in the chat room, it could notify people in Mattermost, and they could start, it could start a channel in Mattermost about it automatically and set the mm -hmm. topic automatically and things like that, where these are all features that you would have available to you with a program like this, and you can't quite get that level with Slack. You can do stuff, but you'll have to create a Heroku account, and that mm -hmm. requires you set up an account with another closed-down service and start paying money there. So it's not as, it's not as long-term extensible as something like Mattermost or Rocket Chat is. And so mm -hmm. for, for me... The takeaway is the lesson we've learned over and over again is if you're going to have something that is vital to your company for collaboration communication, it shouldn't be on a hosted service. Exactly. And I think for us, Mattermost is probably the better way to go. It feels like it's better set up for large teams. There's a lot mm -hmm. more settings I can do. I like the fact that it's using a Postgres uh, mm -hmm. SQL database instead of a MongoDB Docker image or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. I like that the fact that I can set up uh, developer keys and I can turn on webhooks right here. I'm not showing you some of this stuff because my keys would be showing. Here, I'll show you uh, this screen. So the Mattermost has a very nice configuration system console where you can set these things. Uh, it can show you a little bit of uh, the statistics for the Jupyter Colony. You can see we have 28 total users right now with 140 posts, three public channels. And you get a little spike. And if I scroll down, you'd see who signed up in their email addresses, um, I think. Let me double check that. Oh, yeah, I, I cleared that, but yeah. Uh, so it's I, I can see all the newly created users. It's it's Mattermost to me, if you're going to have more than five people, seems to be the way to go. Mattermost and Rocket Chat are both very great. You're not going to go wrong either way. Rocket Chat, I just felt like the, the mobile app was a little clunky, and mm -hmm. the settings that you can configure are a little light versus what you can do with Mattermost. Um, so Mattermost won out in the end for us. I think it has, I think it needs a lot of third-party additions and extensions, though. <clears throat>
And here's one other thing to, to, to kind of tie up what you're saying. You know, the thing is, there's a lot of people out there that might look, and especially if you're a Slack proponent, you'll say, well, I would definitely choose Slack over Mattermost because it has, you know, more robust f- feature set. And the, the thing that I think we fall into as open source advocates sometimes is we get stuck in this loop. And the loop is the software doesn't have quite the same feature set that the proprietary stuff has, so we should use that. Because we're using that, we have more users on the proprietary stuff, so that's where all the people are devoting their time and energy and resources and the ability to connect all that stuff. And because that's where all that stuff is, we have a better feature set because we have a better feature. And then we just go around in the circle. And so to some degree, somebody has to stand up and say, all right, you know what? I understand that Mattermost at this point doesn't have the, the feature set that Slack does. We're going to go with it anywhere. We're going to use it and we're going to take all of our talented and dedicated uh, you know, resources and bring it over to this platform. And because that's where these people are, they're going to start scratching itches and start fixing yeah. things. And that's, I think, how we really start to propel ourselves forward in the open source community rather than just sitting back and saying, well, as soon as open source software gets to where the proprietary stuff is, then I'll come over there. Yeah, and this, at this point... I I think is even more important for uh, any any group that has a decent following. Where, mm-hmm. so like if so, if JB, here's what I was thinking about doing, is I put in the uh, Tech Talk Today Patreon uh, post where for patrons only, I put an invite link to the Jupiter Colony in our Mattermost, right? Because I just wanted to get. I'm not being. I'm not trying to be preferential. What I'm trying to do is get like a small bunch of users on there to test it for us. Mm-hmm. And bang on a little bit, and then what I'd like to do is if see see if somebody from that group or somebody out there would like to be the admin and and set like the, the database up on its own droplet or something like that. You maybe mm-hmm. using private networking. Because what I feel like would be is if if we start using this and we get community members working on this, then there's probably going to be eventually a community member that's going to come along and go, man, it sure be great if if Mattermost could do X Y Z for us, and then they'll exactly. build that, and then it's available to the Mattermost community. So instead of this stuff only being available to the Slack corporation making Slack better, it's now going to be available to anybody. And the more open source projects that start doing this, the more that's going to happen. So I kind of felt like exactly. we should move over to Mattermost. It's just I want to, I would like to have it be something the community could use and something mm-hmm. that the company could use too. So if anybody yep. out there would be interested in helping me manage a Mattermost installation... Well, if we disagree on uh, everything know. else regarding uh, collaborative communication, that is we're 100% yeah. on the same page there. Well, and, and you know, uh, if, if you haven't checked out Telegram, that's worth checking out too. So tweet, tweet me at Chris LES if maybe you'd be interested in helping me manage the matter most installation, especially if you've done some other ones or have some experience and be willing to work with other people that might want to help us extend it. Because um, right now it's pretty cool. And if you're a patron and want to help me bang on it and be a user, uh, that's available to you right now. And then we'll expand it out from there as time goes on. And just I'll report back on my Mattermost experience. Uh, and... I think there's even some like switch over from Slack to like bring in all your Slack history and your channels from Slack too. So there should, I don't really know if the script works that well, but there should be a way to move some of that over too. But then we'd be set. Then we'd be done. All right. No, I got to eat uh, my uh, my honey chicken or my honey shrimp. I keep calling it, it's got walnuts in there. It's just down the street. No, it's just if down the street. If this thing wasn't mounted to to a thing, I would do a mic drop on you. I just which uh, where'd you fly to? Do you fly? I can't remember. Denver, 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 Denver. has Denver has the uh, they have the the Chinese air food right in the airport in Concourse. A. So yeah. you don't actually have to. Leave the I, I've never heard anybody, I've never heard anybody flying to Denver for Panda Express, but uh, well, next time you can fly to Washington. We got a few more around here. So yeah, <laughs> you know they just don't put them where it gets that cold. All right, that's the Linux Action Shows. Look at Rocket Chat, Mattermost, and where they stack up against Slack. Let us know what you tried. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. We got some great feedback and a call out to get to. But before we get to that, 
I want to thank System76 sponsors of the feedback segment. They make awesome, powerful computers to help you do more with Linux, desktops, and laptops assembled right here in the US of A and serviced in the US of A, and they ship worldwide. They got great machines. Really super portable machines, desktop-killing laptops like the Oryx Pro. It's a gorgeous machine. And some really cool, innovative desktops. Check out the Meerkat with 50 bucks off right now. Rattel Pro, which is a crazy great upgrade-as-you-go machine with a small footprint. Oh, and the new Silverback update and the new Leopard Workstation update. Man, go check that out. System76.com. Tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. Get yourself something nice. You can stop fighting with your hardware. You get to play with your software. That being Linux, it makes the nuke and pave much simpler, Noah. Much simpler. System76.com. Okay, Noah, uh, we were going to take calls, but I think for the just because a couple of our episodes have been running like super, super, super long. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? You think we should skip calls this week just because otherwise we're going to go for like. Um, but we could do calls next week. You want to do? Okay, let's do calls. Calls, calls uh, next week. We, and maybe we might have a new phone number then. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that port request will go through. We'll see. Yeah. So I, I think we might start doing the calls more often. Uh, I think we might make that a more regular thing. So tune into the live stream, jblive.tv. We start at noon Pacific. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. Um, I'm actually really damn impressed as many people are here. Uh, how many people do we have in the chat room right now? Uh, 441 during Super Bowl Sunday. Wow. <laughs> that is really, that's just in the chat room. That's people watching that aren't in the chat room. All right. Our first email comes in from George with wishlist ideas. I wanted to contact you to let you know a couple of things from my, from the wishlist episodes are, in fact, a reality already. Open Media Vault has a plugin for ZFS on Linux and it uses DKMS. You need to go into the omv-xers.org section and then enable it. Well, there you go. Uh, although I wanted something else, but okay, that's close. OpenWRT Project has a firmware now for most Ubiquity APs and they just added Cisco Merkai uh, MR12s and MR16s. This doesn't give you an open source wireless cloud controller, but there's a cloud based controller setup called Cucumber. Oh, I'm sorry, Cucumber Tony. <laughs> It will allow you to control a number of OpenWRT devices through their setup. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, they're not open source as far as I can tell, but their firmware is based on OpenWRT, and they're at least uh, an option to use for cloud-controlled functionality across multiple hardware vendors. <laughs> Anyways, just want to drop you a line to let you know that at least one of your wish lists came true a couple of years ago with OpenWRT on Ubiquity. Maybe another one will come true a lot sooner than you might think. Ooh, he sounds like he knows something. Thanks, George. And this is using that new stick uh uh, desktop or a weekly spotlight that we did where people could go reply. It starts mm-hmm. with all of his crap in there. You can just delete that, put your crap in there. All right, Noah. Do you have anything to say to so, that? Yeah, so I'm going to definitely be checking that out. I, you know, I can live, I, I, I live in tiers. And the first tier is runs on Linux, the second tier is open source, and the third tier is Libra respecting. Um, and so I work through those from start to bottom. So if I can get away from total proprietary uh, products that are totally independent of, uh, of, of any realm of Linux and start moving down that, I'm happy with it. So if I can start with getting something that runs on, on OpenWRT or a controller, even if it is proprietary, you know, maybe something better will come along, but it's, it's a nice stepping stone. But I want to jump over to Tom, and he writes in and wants advice on buying a System76 laptop. He says, I need some advice. I'm purchasing my first System76 laptop next week, and I'm currently running Ubuntu Mate on an older Acer laptop. I wouldn't... um 
I normally wouldn't worry about transferring my files and setting up a new machine, but I've got this system set up exactly how I <laughs> want it. I need some advice on the easiest way to clone my system and transfer to the new machine. Is it even possible with it being already encrypted? Thank you for your time, and I appreciate the show, Tom. Well, Tom, my advice to you uh, when I move from one system to another is to use uh, a product like Clonezilla, and that's how I have imaged my machines when I'm moving one to the other. Now, there is one catch-all that you have to be aware of, and that is that you can only image to a drive that is equal or bigger than the original drive. And so, for example, if your computer is an older computer that has a 500 gig um, spinning disk and you buy one of System 76's brand new machines that comes with a fantastic fast 128 gig SSD, it's not going to move over. You're not going to be able to image that way. So you'll have to buy a drive that is slightly equal to or bigger uh, than your original drive. But if you can do that, you can use Clonezilla, make an image, you can do uh, just an image of particular partitions, or you can do the entire drive, and you it'll be as if you just moved your the inner guts of your Acer over to a faster System76. The only Ooh, real problem like I've it. ever had with that is sometimes the network interfaces change, which on a laptop probably isn't a big deal. I got a solution for you. Uh, You'll just need to go grab uh, your parallel cable, and it should be just fine. Today, we're going to talk about the Brooklyn Bridge. Not the one in New York, but this one. This cable and its associated software. You know, with the arrival and performance of the PS2, as well as the 1 million IBM laptop portables, all of which use 3-inch disks, you may soon need Brooklyn Bridge to move data off your old 5-inch disks. Now, the Brooklyn Bridge is an elegant way to move data from old disks to new. You could do it through the communications port, a file at a time. But the Brooklyn Bridge is 12 times faster and automatic to boot. It operates about as fast as a floppy disk. Now, there isn't much to look at. You add a new device to your configuration file. You select one computer to act as slave, the other as master. On the slave end, you start up the program, then reboot the master. The master gains access to all the disks on the slave. A directory on either machine looks exactly the same. It's as if all the files were on the master. Copy, erase, execute programs. Brooklyn Bridge is $140 from White Crane in Norcross, Georgia. For the Computer Chronicles, I'm Paul Schindler. See, easy peasy, Noah. Easy peasy. You just gotta just use the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> the fact that you had that queued up and ready is concerning to me. I just want to hear that. I'm becoming a monster, Noah. I'm becoming a monster. All right, our last email of the day. Hi, Chris and Noah. I wanted to share this online self-hosted invoice app that I found out on the internet. It's called invoiceplane.com. Looks good. Has anyone in the JB community used it? Thanks again for all your hard work putting together a fantastic show. I'm glad to see the video is back. I know it's more work, but I find it engaging. So, Noah, I know you've played around with this. Have you ever tried invoice plane? I know you got other stuff under the hood, too. What are you working with? I have. I, I tried invoice plane and played with it for a little bit. Um, I got to be honest with you, I went back to the solution I was using before, and that is Beans Books. And what Beans Books is, is a it's basically a QuickBooks alternative, and you can download the, the you can download it yourself and install it and do a self-hosted situation. But what I've done is I actually host it with uh, the Beanbooks company, which their parent company happens to be System76. So uh, my my concern that it will never not run on Linux or will go away <laughs> or that my freedoms are going to be stepped on or any of that jazz that I, ordinarily I'd be worried about has never even been a thought in my mind. And the other nice thing is because, and you and I have both seen this firsthand, because System76 is, you know, is a very, very client customer-oriented business, 
every time we've ever had an issue with them, we you reach up the path to get support up to a d- the developer level is like a two step thing. I mean, you you write into their support, and if that guy can't fix it, they got a developer working on it to implement a change or get a new feature out or whatever it takes to to make it work. It has been it has it has met and exceeded my wildest expectations and been absolutely amazing. And because it's a hosted web solution. I I can sit at a client, you know, and this has happened. I'm sitting across from a client. And they say, "Yeah, we never. Uh, we were wondering if we could get that. You know, we could get that invoice or this quote or or this, that, and the other." And I'll send it off to my team back at the office and say, "This is this is the kind of machine we're looking for. This is the computer we need, or this is the software we need, or whatever it is." And they go through, generate that quote, and uh, I get a Telegram notification that says, uh, "Hey, it's ready." Because I'll go ahead and 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 let them know, and I can pull it up right on my computer, show it to them, export it to a PDF, email it right from Beansbooks, print it off. It's a phenomenal solution, and at I think it's like they they only charge I guess like nineteen bucks a month I think is what we pay or twenty five dollars a month something like that. That's for them and to so, host it. Yeah, and so yeah, and so the end of the 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 end all be all is it ends up being the you know a little bit cheaper than what QuickBooks would have been if I just bought the new version of QuickBooks every year. Except it runs on Linux, and it you know it's just and the other thing is you're supporting a company that really cares about the hard community, yeah. uh, you know, and, and they have it. a thirty day hosted trial. You can just try it for free that's, for thirty days. That's actually what sold me on it. Was we tried the self hosted thing, and it was good. It worked. It was great. And then I tried the 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 they post-it thing and the ability to ask them questions. Yeah. And, and I, I have a rough understanding of how they've done the process isolation and the machine and data isolation. That's pretty good stuff. So yeah. your solution to the QuickBooks problem is don't use QuickBooks. Yes. Use that's Bean my Books. solution to the QuickBooks problem is use BeanBooks. Yeah. It's an amazing. Uh, Roddenkorp says that he's worked with it a bit and the yep. project that created it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, so I'm one more feedback. Uh, Stigi34 wrote into the subreddit, Chris Lass, it's Lamanda, like Lambda, not Lamanda or Labamba, Labamada, Lambda. And it's a pretty cool Amazon's take on serverless architecture. And the folks over at Linux Academy have a good write-up on I guess last week, you know, it turns out, Noah, I... I <laughs> I might have mispronounced something. I don't. I no, don't, that that's not possible. At least no. not you. You would never mispronounce. No, no, no. I, I would never ever. Uh, I would never pronounce, mispronounce something. Yeah, if you if you care about pronunciation and watch class, you're probably gonna have a bad time because now we just have fun with it. Now we're just yeah. now we're just having fun with it. We'd love to get uh, all your background submissions. I have uh, a background I've been working with here for the video version since we've been back, and uh, we have the raw source materials and some inspirations in the subreddit. I have a link in the show notes in the feedback segment. I haven't gotten any for a couple of weeks, and I'm running low on my stash. So if you'd like to help contribute to my background, I have a link in the show notes, and I could use a few more suggestions for what goes in that picture frame right there. Mr. Linus is in there today. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the Linux Act. Oh, 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 I did have one more thing. So we've been going long recently, as I now stretch it out and make us go longer. I'd like to know your feedback on that, too. Some of you like it long, and some of you like it shorter. I would really enjoy your feedback. Let us know which way you like it and why in the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, or on the YouTube comments. That'd be appreciated. Or tweet me at Chris Elias. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. Yeah, basically what it is, is I, so for those of you that don't know, I moved, and uh, when you move, nothing ever works, right? That's for sure. 
And so I am living <clears throat> inside of my son's bedroom at the moment. Oh wow! Well, we here. I think I have pictures. Uh, we I had to we had to redo a bunch of the uh, we had to redo the bedroom. So I, like the first thing I did so was like I before noticed, I even get in there, I'm going to just get this work started. Right. Well, so the problem is uh, I have, as you might imagine, a couple of electronics, and they suck because there's no ground plugs in the bedroom. And of course, anyone who knows. Um, about electricity knows that uh, there's really no simple way to add. I mean, you can you there's there's ways that you can cheat. Like you can you can ground out and then use like GFCI plugs and stuff, which technically meets code, but it, it, that's cheating. So what we, what I did was I went through and actually uh, ripped out uh, about a four, two foot section of the wall all the way around the house, all the way around that room, ripped out all the electrical wire, and uh, or, I'm sorry, and then pulled a self wiring permit and. Then uh, and then went through and ran all electrical wire. Now I'm going back through and patching, you know, putting new sheetrock in all that stuff, which is great. Except it means that the room is a bloody disaster yeah. and is not inhabitable really. And so what uh, what I ended up doing is I'm sleeping on an air mattress in my son's room, <clears throat> and of course we have no TV and there's really not a convenient way for me to have uh, a laptop or anything like that. And so what I've done is I've gone to watching my nighttime shows and such on my cell phone sure and but the problem is you what do you have when you want to watch cell phone in bed well you have this crap right and oh yeah after yeah wow this crap turns into this crap and then this crap turns into this crap and then that crap or turns smack into yeah <laughs> so that happens and that's a real pain especially when you're falling asleep and it whacks you in the face and that r really sucks so i got a device and what it is is it's a little clamp that clamps onto anything and right now it's clamped onto the back of a chair and then it has a gooseneck that comes around, and then it has a little like alligator thingy. Oh, nice! Holds my phone. Check out. Okay, so, so check out what I've got. So I've got something that's. So I've got. Uh, it's you got these legs here yeah. that can go on anything, right? So I can go right. Like that, and then it has. Mm -hmm. This is a camera phone mount that changes sizes depending on the size of your camera phone. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever you're using it for. So it's kind of neat. Kind of. So I had to get down to air mattress level, though. And there's nothing for me to... I yeah. Mean, <laughs> that would so which room did you send me a picture of? What is this? Which that's one is... That's the bedroom. So, that, so if you uh. look, like, if you look around the perimeter of the wall, you'll see where I'm mudding. That is... Oh, yeah, yeah. That, actually, it's not, I guess that's not really muddy. That's still I'm in the process of yeah. taping. But, Dang. Uh, Dang. Like, yeah. you, are you doing that work, or are you, are you hiring yeah. contractors no, to no, do that? No, 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 I'm doing it. I, here's what? The thing. Noah. I tried, yeah, here's the problem. I, I tried to hire contractors to do stuff. The problem is that I go in and... And it never gets done right, and then yeah, I that's have, a thing. Then I turn into a babysitter, and then I and then I get mad, and then that's no good. So it, Boy, I just it geez, like ten times longer because I don't really have any spare time. But yeah, at least I know when it gets done, it gets done right. And like we were joking about this, but <clears throat> particularly when it comes to running cable, when we run cable and cable a building, uh, we check every single jack to make sure every right. one what of a them concept. Has all <laughs> yeah, right. What a concept. So you're the only one. You're the guys. You're the guys that does that, huh? Because yeah. apparently nobody so, else does. No, no kidding. And so uh, we, I had, I had an electrician. They were coming down into my basement to, to to add some breakers, and they get done. There was only like four or five of them, so it wasn't like the end of the world. But I go down, and none of them are labeled. And I'm like, guys, seriously. Do you know how much harder it is to go back and figure out which one goes to which room? I mean, in this case, it was only like four or five, so it wasn't a big deal, but it was still a pain. And I'm like, you know what? 
screw it. I'll just do it myself and then it will get done once and it'll get done right and I don't have to question anything. And so, <laughs> You're not yeah, a control freak. It's just everybody else does it wrong, right? You know, well, yeah, that's that's that, that, that's the, the long and the short of it. And the other thing is too is I spend more time in my bedroom than anywhere else because I don't really have a lot of free time at home. So when I get home, I want to go, I want to lay down, I want to watch TV and I want to fall asleep. And if stuff doesn't work because things aren't done correctly, I'm going to be livid. But it'll be too late for me to complain about anything because it'll like, you know, one in the morning. So, yeah, just doing it myself. But uh, that's my that's my that's my solution to sleeping on an air mattress in my son's bedroom. So uh, it's interesting. So you and I, uh, you sounds like more long term for me. The weekends are a precarious sleeping arrangement right now because, you know, we got the new rig much better to accommodate three young kids. Yeah. The thing is, is all three kids are at different sleep stages. Like uh, Dylan could sleep until almost 8 a.m. if you let him. Whereas mm-hmm. Abby is waking up at 5.30 a.m., right? And and so when one person's up in an RV, pretty much everybody's up. So this time we right. thought, here's what we'll do. We'll put the girls, who sometimes have irregular sleep schedules, in our master bedroom, which is behind two closed doors, right? Just put them in there. They're self-contained. Uh, Hadiyah and I and Dylan will sleep out here on these beds, right? Because there's beds out there. Man, I have turned into somebody who's super sensitive to light. So the light on the microwave was so bright that it kept me up like all night long. And so I was just, I uh, finally, after Abby woke up at 5.30 a.m., I went to bed uh-huh. and I slept till about 7.30. So that was, I got, I got from about 6 a.m. to 7.30. You ever thought about it like a sleep mask? Yeah, I mean, I, I would love to be able to have something on my face, but I don't think I can have anything on my face. So I just go off on this. I'll, I'll have to ask Alex, but he, he's the same way. He doesn't like anything touching him. Yeah, I know. Sleep. Yeah, you mentioned super, that. super sensitive to light. And so he found, like, the world's best sleep mask. That's the only mm. way he can sleep in hotels. Because he, like, you think you're sensitive to light. The <clears throat> the charging light on my freaking laptop when it's sitting next to the bed is too much for me. Oh, that'd be too much for me, too. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling really? you, the micro the microwave <laughs> clock is what kept me up all night. I, the I clock on the microwave. TV. Yeah, I, turn the I know. Off, no, you fall asleep. Up. Noah legitimately falls asleep on like the couch here at JB1 with his laptop right in front of his face on playing Netflix, and he's just yeah. like he's out. And I'm like, holy! It's like it's like Flash. Dylan's the same way. Dylan and Dylan doesn't matter. Dylan doesn't care if there's light in his face or anything like that. I wasn't always so sensitive to it, but uh, over the last few years, I didn't. I didn't actually realize I was as sensitive until I started. Uh, sleeping in situations where it was completely dark, like when we went camping and stuff, and then I realized, uh-huh. oh wow. I like why am I sleeping significantly better all of a sudden? And then yeah. I realized, oh, it's because it's a lot darker. It made a huge well, difference. Light pollution and sound pollution. Yeah, there's tons yeah. of science to back that up, and there's also tons of science to show that we sleep in too warm of conditions. You really should have, you should really be sleeping at like 66, 68 degrees. Oh, that's rough. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it. That's but rough, then, man. That's rough. But naturally, you'll just you'll cuddle up under blankets, and <clears> your body will self-regulate better. What is okay. what is so Spark here's Post? What Spark, Spark Post will give you. It's it's specifically designed for. Um, massive like things that require sign up where it, where it sends a confirm so you get 10,000 emails for free a month and then after that you have to pay um, if you want more and I think it's like I mean it doesn't matter because you're not going to send more than 10,000 in a month but uh, but basically you sign up and they basically give you a, a super long API key which is a, which uses an SMTP password and then they give you a generic SMTP username and a generic SMTP gateway and then you can then you can you put plug that into your thing and then it, it sends emails they can send emails out huh that does sound yeah. are you telegram that us to me yep 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 i just set this up this week or last week yeah this week and uh it was incredible it was a 
great, 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 great experience. 12 hours a day, the entire time I'm at work, mm -hmm. that's up on my screen. You know when the phone call, you know when I get to phone calls? When I'm done at the end of the day and I go back to my office, I check my voicemail to see what calls I missed. And then I'll call those people back. So you uh, really enjoy how you had to make sure to position it so that the food. Oh, man, I got to tell you, this is hitting the spot. I haven't had chow mein. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 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 Oh, oh my. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did, mm. uh, did you get those Velcro ties? Mm. No, I haven't gotten those. Are you serious? Yeah, but I don't check the mail. No, I don't know where you sent them. I don't check the mail too often. Studio. Hmm. Yeah, Should have come in an Amazon box. Well, you can go Remember ahead and I was saying sometimes stuff just goes in the mailbox with uh, USPS. Well, yeah, that's what it is. Well, anyway, here's here's the thing. You can go ahead and throw those out when they get there because I'm bringing zip ties, and I'm gonna and every time I zip tie, ah! I'm, gonna label, I'm gonna label one sweet and sour chicken. I'm gonna label another General's house chicken. I'm Don't gonna forget the walnut honey uh, shrimp. Yeah, that's gonna have two. I'm gonna get the big fatso one that they use for like zip tying people, like in the back of a cop car. I'm gonna I'm gonna get those. I'm not gonna, that you're uh, not that you're bitter. Not that you're bitter. Not at all. <laughs>